I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Just a heads up that this episode contains conversations about body image, so take care if that's a sensitive topic for you. There is a hair. It is the hair. It is very dark and twice as thick as the hairs around it for some reason, and it grows from the place that you're embarrassed about, but you are quite diligent at removing it. Most of the time. Suddenly, you can't actually remember if you've removed it recently because there is a half-naked person in front of you and you are also half-naked. What this means is you have just realized that they might be able to see the hair and you have forgotten to make sure this wasn't going to happen, except you are fairly confident that you had gotten rid of the hair and now you're wondering if you can actually trust your own memory at all. Additionally, the other person is becoming more naked and you have just realized that you have been completely frozen this entire time that you've been thinking about this. Also, just for fun, you may have left the stove on back home. What do you do when your fight or flight response kicks in when what you really want to do is the other F word? You might have heard that the key to all this is communication, but what the hell does it actually mean? Today, I'll be communicating with you, dear listener, as well as communicating with an expert about how feeling bad doesn't have to stop you from feeling good. This is Love Me, Love My Anxiety. I'm Kevin Jin, anxious comedian, and your guide through sex, prescribed drugs, and rock and rolling on the floor in the fetal position. I remember when I was a teenager, I had gone to a girl's house to study. And when I got there, her mum was going out to the shops for a bit, which was very exciting. We could also study in the upstairs office, and that was also very exciting. Studying is very important. We got to studying, and after a good bit of revision, I realized that the upstairs office doubled as her younger brother's room, and that the whole time, we'd been studying on Bob the Builder sheets, which was weird because her brother was like 12, which is not Bob's demographic anymore, I think, and suddenly, I was very not excited and questioning my commitment to education. I was like, can we fix this? And the answer was... No, we can't, because at that moment, her tradie dad got home from work and we had to pretend we were actually studying instead of just making out. And now I feel weird whenever I see high-vis, which is very difficult for me because it's just so easy to see. There can be an assumption that sex is part of the dating package. Would I date somebody if sex was completely off the table? Probably not. No. 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 I would never date someone if sex was off the table. How long would I wait? Two hours. Three dates? Second or third date? Roughly three months. I have sex at least five times a week. Sex in the relationship is very important to me. Sex is like a delicious peach. Why would you not want to have a bite? If no one was having sex, Tinder wouldn't exist. If you're not having sex, you're just hanging out with a friend, aren't you? But what happens when you're medically incapable of Netflix and chill? What if you're a on-demand and hyperventilate type of person? Amazon Prime and Cry? 
Anthony Lacascio, a Sydney-based comedian, suffers from a condition he calls anxiety dick, which is exactly what it sounds like. He talked to us about the symptoms of his condition. Hey, Anthony, how are you going? I'm very well, Kevin. How has anxiety affected your love life? I have suffered from performance anxiety throughout my entire adult life. And Mm -hmm. for a long time, I thought there was something physically wrong with me or I felt that maybe Mm -hmm. there was something wrong with the the partners that I was choosing or anything like that. But uh, as I've gotten older, I realized that it coincides with a whole bunch of things, my confidence, um, you know, Mm -hmm. even physical factors like my diet, whether I've had a good sleep, et cetera, and the issue with the, the the anxiety dick, as I like to call it, the the invincible monolith in that once it starts, you can't defeat it. Like you can't think your way out of it. You, it's it's just over. Performance anxiety isn't that unusual, but for Anthony, the unusual thing is how Sex in the City ironically started his anxieties about sex. Also, the city, I presume. I attribute it to. As a teenager, my parents divorced and I was just living with my mom and I would watch whatever she was watching on TV and she would just binge watch Sex and the City for years. I don't think a guy has ever gotten me that wet. That's salt. Milk? Ladies, let me tell you about his cock. Will be quiet? And I, I've seen the whole series like three times. But the only thing that like 15-year-old Anthony took away from it is like, you better do a good job in bed or you're going you're gonna to be spoken about at brunch. So I'm going into every sexual encounter in my late teens and early 20s thinking, man, Samantha's going to ravage you unless you come up with a good performance here. So I think that thing in my head was the cause of all this. And then obviously anxiety is the, is the vehicle for it and the mechanism, but that was the, the, the genesis. So, like, if I were to show you, like, a framed picture of Sarah Jessica Parker right now, would that trigger your fight-or-flight response? Yeah, it'll be the end of the podcast. Like, so when you're talking about kind of like this monolith of like, you can't think your way out of it, you know, so like you're entering like a negative cycle, your thoughts are racing, you know, your physiological responses are flaring up. Like, what type of anxieties are you getting in the moment? Are they describable in words? Is it like a, oh no, I left the stove on moment? Um, okay, so in, in words, it's very much like a, you better step up, buddy. I suppose I now is as good a time as any to reveal it on this on this chat, I did see a sex therapist uh, for a couple of months last year. Oh, awesome. And she, she explained to me that there are sort of two neural pathways between your brain or your mind and your genitals. And one of them is a sort of arousal pathway. And the other one is a, is a thought or a, like an articulation of thought pathway. I mean, the reason for that is, you know, a hunter-gatherer ancient DNA version of us if you're in the middle of an arousing sort of lovemaking session and, and that part of you is activated, if you hear a baby crying or if you sense that there's fire or something like that, you need to be able to sense that and then sort of send signals to your, to your hardware to just cease the arousal, right? And so by me going into sexual encounters thinking this is, this is for you, for her and for Samantha and the girls <laughs> tomorrow morning, I'm like sending those mental signals to my like area, to my stuff, and that blocks the arousal pathway. So that's why it's such a, an, an indefeatable monster because you, like, there's, no, there's no thinking your way out of it. 
There's the classic men versus women myth about men being these uncontrollably horny creatures and women having to put up with them, which is an extremely hack bit in my opinion. Anthony and I talked about how not all men are like that. For real, we're actually not all like that. Legit. What do you think are some of the biggest myths about men and sex? I think the biggest one is that men are always horny. There are times when I just want to watch TV. I feel like there's this myth about men, especially men in their 20s and 30s, I guess, that were just like eating fucking machines, just mindless, just flesh cocoons attached to a penis. There are some insecurities that men can face when it comes to S-E-X. Stressful erotic experiences. I think the, the idea that you need to do a really good job in bed, there is that kind of pressure. You know, it's, it's not like we're all sitting around at the pub going, oh man, I uh, did the best job last night or, or you, you know you know what I mean like it's not it's not that open but I don't know on some level there is that you want to please your partner you want your partner to have a good time but you also want to be competent in this in this in this thing that's that's really quite important so I think there's that pressure but beyond that I, I mean there's the very basic I guess toxic masculine in your early 20s you just like it's a numbers game, and you got to at least do your mates be the guy who, who oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm having sex, but it's yeah, you know, everybody's just talking out of their ass. I also spoke to Maya Rees, a Sydney-based HR professional who has her own experiences with anxiety in the bedroom. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. How are you going? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. So today we are going to be talking about dating, but also anxiety. And before we get started, Maya, I just wanted to ask, Yes. are you anxious right now? Um, no, I'm not. I've had a lovely morning with my partner and I've also just come fresh from therapy. Mm. So I can say that I'm not anxious, but the day is young. It's always very calming to remind yourself that it's never too late to be anxious. Yes. <laughs> or too early, in fact. <laughs> it's, it's literally one of my life mottos. <laughs> How does having anxiety affect your sex life? Uh, greatly is the answer I would give you initially. The thing about anxiety is, as I'm sure you would well know, is that you just constantly live in your head. Hmm. And it means that you just can't stop thinking and when you want to have sex with someone or even just be intimate, let's be clear, it doesn't matter what you're doing. And anxiety doesn't lend itself to that, mm. any kind of intimacy, because I find it initially hard to trust that I can just slow down enough in my mind mm. that I can let my body, I don't want to say even take over. I just mean take the lead. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember one of the first things that I learned is when I first started seeing mm. um, mental health support was that like a lot of the times anxiety can be thought of as a fear of fear. Like we're scared yes. that we're going to get scared and then it becomes this yes. like self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. that takes us out of the moment mm -hmm. and it's just like, yeah. like I'm worried that I'm going to get worried. Oh no, the fact that I'm worried means it's coming true. Ah, Right? Yeah. Exactly. Maya has a condition called vaginismus, which is different but also similar to Anthony's experiences. She told me she used to just try and avoid sex altogether or would try to power through. I think before having a healthy relationship, um, you try and avoid it as much as possible. Yeah. And then when you kind of get to the moment, you just try and 
figure it out in a panic, mm-hmm. um, which I would say has been wildly unsuccessful on each and every occasion, but that is what I did. Her chronic pelvic pain, coupled with her anxiety, meant sexual intercourse very often became a sexual obstacle course and not in a fun way. The stress that kind of comes from having and living with anxiety can affect us in a lot of different ways. And one of those ways is, you know, the muscles of the pelvis and, you know, the vagina generally, right? That's another place that, you know, your body holds tension. So when you're anxious, you know, a lot of the muscles around there really kind of get really tight and grip because, again, if it's somewhere that you hold stress, you know, anything, right, could be a trigger for lack of a better expression. But, yeah, it also happens in during sex, yes. And so with you and your partner, mm. uh, what are positive things that you do in order to um, not necessarily overcome but to, to, to manage this? Communication, definitely. You know, that's a big one. Even just being able to talk about it and not feel shame or not feel like there's pressure to perform is such a godsend you know i think especially for women and i guess this comes from living in a world that you know prioritizes men's pleasure sometimes it can inadvertently promote the the concept or the idea that sex is a chore and obviously it's not and it shouldn't be but especially when you already feel like you can't perform it just exacerbates that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have this idea that, you know, penetration in sex is the end goal. Mm-hmm. And it can be and should be, and there's no issues with that. But if you know that, oh, that might not be where we're mm-hmm. at, then just taking the pressure off and saying, okay, well, we'll just move the goalposts to this other location. Yeah, yeah. And then that's fine. Anxiety can be like a cold shower in that it stops you feeling horny and makes you feel really bad instead. According to psychiatrist Dr. Cameron Armin, who we spoke to for our first dates episode, it doesn't have to be like that. What are some of the reasons people might feel anxious about sex? So sex can certainly be anxiety-inducing for people, yeah? And if people are experiencing significant anxiety, then it can certainly have an effect on their sexual function. So... Things like erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or anorgasmia when people can't have orgasms, which can affect women as well. Um, They can all be related to anxiety. But I guess the important thing is to talk to a doctor about that. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of stigma around sexual dysfunction. So people will often sort of suffer in silence. But, you know, if you talk to your doctor, there's therapy that you can get which helps with those sorts of problems and so what's actually happening on a physiological level when anxiety stops us from being able to enjoy the moment essentially so let's say for example with erectile dysfunction that's related to anxiety because you know there's lots of different causes of something like erectile dysfunction it's a type of performance anxiety so the anxiety it probably means that you're too in your head to be able to be sexually aroused, right? Because to be sexually aroused, you need to be somewhat focused on the thing that's arousing you. Whereas if you're overly distracted, then you might not be able to to sort of reach that level of arousal. So 
the therapy that helps with anxiety can can improve those situations in relationships when people are experiencing sexual dysfunction then a lot of the therapy that's used is based on this model that was first sort of suggested by Masters and Johnson where it's kind of a type of graded exposure so they'll initially put a ban on sex because that removes the anxiety that comes with the expectation that oh we're in a couple we have to have sex mm-hmm. and then they'll gradually increase physical contact so they might say okay no sex this week next week just touching and you know the week after massages and then gradually increasing the sexual contact and at every stage the couple would you know sort of continue at that stage until they become comfortable with it and it's not anxiety inducing that's super fascinating and also sounds like a very lovely journey for a couple to go on together it sounds quite romantic we spoke to Kathy No who we've heard in an earlier episode about how her anxiety around sex and relationships comes from her relationship with her body how has anxiety impacted your sex life i am wondering oh does my sort of thigh look okay in this angle or <laughs> or uh, am I just how many roles do I have right now <laughs> oh no I'm critical about those things hmm. eight years ago or something like that I, I just I was obsessed with exercising hmm. I would exercise first thing in the morning doing weights and then after work and so I was just this really lean kind of muscle or semi-muscly low body fat i remember that time my partner said it's like having sex with a boy <laughs> it, it was really hurtful so that comment that he made did you find that that had an impact on your relationship with sex yeah that's right because i i felt that i wasn't pretty enough and not good in bed because apparently i was like a little boy for Kathy, going to therapy, a medication plan, and a loving partner helped her get out of her head and help with her body issues. Well, I think medication has improved my relationships in general. Also with uh, myself too, I am much more loving of myself. Like I, I love playing with my rolls on my belly and I just shape it into a donut. I don't know. Like I, I come back perfectionism by self-talk so whenever I catch myself having those perfectionistic behaviors I'm much better at catching myself on that and I just say um, in like a really kind of itchy girl tone hey Kathy what do you think you're doing huh? <laughs> <laughs> like you're bullying yourself into believing in yourself yeah Finding the right partner to help you emotionally can also be the same as finding the right partner to help you physically. Anthony and Maya have both luckily done just that. The remedies that I have found that have helped are to find a partner that will just sort of never shame you for it and be completely understanding and to be 100% honest. And I seem to have not had those problems at all with my current girlfriend, which is great. I have been on the apps and I've also, you know, really kind of told myself that I wanted to have a relationship with a man, I guess because of a lot of internalized homophobia. I hadn't really kind of come out to myself. Now realize it's not right because I didn't really want to be in a relationship with a man. So 
this time when I did decide to get on the apps, it was an app specifically for women dating women and other gender identities that are not men. And it's been so easy, like ridiculously easy. Like I couldn't have scripted it better even if I wanted to, you know? It's like, it's kind of ironic. It's just like, we like a good story, but it's actually better when there isn't a story. Yeah. What helped with that is the fact that we started a relationship in lockdown. Because we couldn't see each other, we had these wonderful, really kind of deep and meaningful conversations where we talked about anything and everything before we actually met. And I always think, you know, it's better to start Mm. as you intend to finish, right? (laughs) Right, which is an absolute opportunity for a sex joke. But also, if you know that you feel like this is a relationship that is important to you and you want to be present and show up as much as possible, then if you're going to do that in conversation, you're going to do that in the bedroom and you're going to do that when it comes to any other aspects of life, right? Sex is daunting and scary sometimes, but sexual dysfunction or anxiety around sex doesn't need to be a thing of shame. And when you get too caught up in your head, that's when there can be a failure to launch. So talk to your partner or even a trained professional, because anxious people get horny too, and you deserve a bit of fun. Stick around for next episode, where we talk about ghosting and breakups and how not to unravel. That was a hard one for me to cope through because I never experienced heartbreak before and I always in the past had kind of downplayed, I guess, the way people felt after breakups. So I was like, oh, you're just being, like, dramatic because my friends would say, like, really cheesy things, like, but they were the love of my life. And I'm like, gosh, look at you, get yourself together. Wow, you sound like your mother, Jen. (laughs) If this episode raised any issues for you... You can contact Beyond Blue 24-7 on 1300 4636 Or for 24-7 crisis support, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Love Me, Love My Anxiety is a podcast from SBS Voices. It's hosted by me, Kevin Jin, produced by Caitlin Chang, and audio production by Jeremy Wilmot. Additional audio is from The Swiping Game, produced by Nia Nguyen. Our executive producers are Natalie Hambly and Danielle Teutsch. Don't forget that if you want to learn more about dating and hear me say more dumb stuff, you can catch me on The Swiping Game, streaming on SBS On Demand.